At any rate, um, if you would take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 7, and we're going to, I promise you, do a little bit shorter message this morning because I want to share some testimony at the end and just uh, turn our attention to some other things too. So Romans chapter 7, verses 7 through 12 is where I'm going to be this morning. And so I want to read these verses and then just open up in prayer. It says, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. Rather, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. For I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, worked out in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. Now, as I once, I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And this commandment, which was to lead to life, was found to lead to death for me. For sin, taking an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it, killed me. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Dear Father, Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to be here in your house. I ask God that you would speak to our hearts through your word. Lord, we've worshipped you in song. Lord, we've sang our hearts out to you. We've tried to exalt you and lift you high. And Lord, we also want to worship you now through the word. And Lord, it's your word that effectively works in us to change lives. And I pray, God, that you would use your Holy Spirit to challenge us, but not only challenge us, change us. In this uh, time of uh, looking at your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to start out this morning by asking you a couple questions. How many of you have ever looked deeply, closely into a mirror? Raise your hand. Only four of you? Really? You've ever you've never looked into a mirror? There we go. There, there we go. It wasn't a trick question, I promise. I'm not smart enough for those. So if you've ever looked really closely into a mirror, maybe you got up one morning and without a doubt you assume because you've done this many hundreds or thousands of times throughout your life, gotten up that is, uh, that your hair is a mess. That maybe you got some gook in your eyes. Uh, maybe you even realize that I think I got a big zit on the corner of my forehead. You, uh, you know, I mean, you, you know you've got bedhead because that's just the normal reality. You know you got crusty eyes and you may know that you got that zit that's just almost ready to pop. But once you look into the mirror up close... Your thoughts are confirmed. You see just how bad your hair is. I mean, you wake up with Tina Turner style hair and you say, maybe I just got to spray it and go. You see exactly how much gook is in the corner of your eyes and you're trying to rust the crusties out of it. And you see that little zit that's white ready to go. And you say, let's have at it. You've done this hundreds of times, right? What you thought was the reality was confirmed by looking into that mirror up close. The mirror revealed with clarity the extent of what you may or may not have known. Without a doubt, this is exactly what the law does for the child of God. It reveals with clarity what sin is and what sin is not. It acts as a mirror. 
As we look at these few verses, we're only going to bring out four principles that of what the law reveals, and they're very short this morning. But I want us to pay attention to it. First of all, we see in verse 7, it says this, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? And I have to be honest with you, as I'm reading through this, I'm... Over the years, I've said this a hundred times, I'm not smart enough like other megachurch pastors. They have six, year, six characters of this and seven things of that and 12 of this. I'm not smart enough to come up with series like that. So I have to go through the books. And as I realize that, and I'm going through different books, I find out that some books are extremely repetitive. And we look through the beginning of, the, of, of Romans and we see the law does this and the law doesn't do that. The law does this and the law doesn't do that. And it comes right back around again to clarifying what the law does. And I have to be honest with you, the first time I read it, at first glance, I'm saying, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? Well, I'm thinking to myself, well, what in the world is he seeing here? This is make no sense to me. How many would say that it just makes no sense? Thank you for your honesty. Well, let me give you some clarity here. The first principle that the law reveals is that the law reveals what sin is. So he says this once again. He says, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. Rather, I would not have come to know what no sin except through the law. For I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said you should not covet. So let me come back to that question in just a moment. So he uses the example of coveting. He says, uh, coveting revealed to me that the law, in saying that there shall not covet what is not yours, that that's sin. Let me bring a little bit of clarity to this. So when mama says, stop hitting your sister, you know the law, right? When daddy says, take out the trash, you know the law. You know what you are supposed to be doing. When the officer or the sign says, do not do 90 mile an hour, you know what the law is. Is that law sin? No. Is it wrong to have a guide or a limit or a parameter in which you are to live? No. So the law is not sin. The law reveals what sin is. As we already talked about in the beginning parts of Romans chapter 2 and 3. So the law teaches what sin is. He says, apart from the law, sin is death. It has no life. So the law takes on life by revealing us to us how we are supposed to live. So once again, we have rules and regulations for our own good, right? I know there are certain people, then it seems like every family's got one, that one kid who says, I hate rules. That one person that says, I don't like laws. Right? Because if there's no law to break, I'm free to do whatever I want. If nobody says you can't do that, well, I can continue doing whatever I want. Right? Keep that thought just for a moment. But when somebody says, thou shalt not, well, that changes everything. And so the law is not dead. It very much is alive because if you don't follow it, there are consequences. And one of the consequences that comes to my mind is from the book of James. He says, to him that knows to do right and doesn't do it, to him it is what? Sin. So the very fact that we know what we should be doing and we're choosing not to do it, the law reveals that to you and I, that is sin. So let me ask this question. How much sin does it take to break the heart of God? 
I mean, is there a certain amount? I mean, if you just lie day after day after day, there finally comes a point where God says, okay, I know, I realize the first fib, the second exaggeration, the third outright lie, but I'm telling you, you did five lies this week. That's just one too many. Is that, is that what God says? But why is it that how we kind of assume how God reacts sometimes? How much sin is enough to break the heart of God? Or is it that all sin breaks the heart of God? And in our, in our, you know, American minds, we have this idea that, well, certain sins are not as bad as others. I mean, I, I mean, if I actually tell that lie, that's just a little thing. I mean, it's not as bad as shooting somebody. Well, lying has a different consequence than shooting somebody, but is not all sin sin, and does not all sin break the heart of God? Yes or no? Absolutely. But in our minds, we justify and rationalize and excuse certain sins, but other sins, well, we wouldn't be part of that because that's just not who I am. That's so-and-so, or that's so-and-so. I, I don't do that. I mean, I don't look at pornography. I don't listen to cussing and swearing. I don't, I, I, I'm not addicted to any drugs. I mean, that's other people. I mean, I, I'm pretty good. Really? Because it really doesn't matter. Because according to the law, he says, if you are guilty of breaking one part of the law, you're guilty of all the law. See, because none of us are perfect enough. None of us are just that good that, hey, God's going to let this one slide. I'm just telling you, I'm thankful for God's grace. I'm thankful for his mercy. I'm thankful that he is a God who is patient with me. But the law reveals what sin is. And we need to take note of it. Because that's what brings the very law alive. So what's he saying here in verse 7? What shall we say then? Is the law sin? No. It reveals what sin is. But now look at verses 9 and 10. You see a second principle here. The law reveals what life is not. What life is not. You see, all of us has an, have an idea of what it means to live life. I mean, we see it all the time. Oh, life is about number one. You got to take care of number one. And, you know, I'm number one. And, and we're all about what we can do in life. What we can get out of life. The things that we can enjoy in this life. And what we can accumulate in this life. Whether it's sinful or not. Look at verses 9 and 10. He says, oh, let me, let, let me go back one thing. Let me highlight verse 8 just for one second. It says, but sin, taking an opportunity through the commandment, worked out in me a covenant of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. I was thinking about this. Apart from the law, sin is dead. It says this. But sin, taking an opportunity through the commandment. Sin will take every opportunity and get its hand on. I don't know who the original author is. I don't remember who said it first. But the phrase, sin will take you further than you meant to go. It'll cost you more than you meant to pay. And it will keep you longer than you meant to stay. Is all true. Nobody who gets addicted to meth says, oh, I'm just going to try it one time and I'm never going to touch it again. It takes people by surprise. Death is no respecter of person, right? Death takes an infant as well as the 90-year-old. It does it through illness as, rather, as well as accident. Death is no respecter. And a lot of it comes as a result of sin. 
when we think about it, not in every case, it says, but sin taking opportunity through the commandment. Sin will take and wants its opportunity. But look at verse 9 and 10. It tells us what life is not. Verse 9 says, Now I was once alive apart from the law. But when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And this commandment, which was to lead to life, was found to lead to death for me. What's he saying here? What he thought was life was no life at all. Let me ask a question. How many people in the depths of their sinfulness think that they're just living it up? Enjoying the good life. Enjoying all that this life has to offer. I mean, just going to partake of every opportunity that I can partake of. Whatever gratifies my flesh. Whatever brings joy and fulfillment to me. How many people in the world live that way? A lot of people. Why? Because enjoying the things that this world has to offer. And let's remember, 1 John 2, 15-17. For all that is in this world, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is what? Not of the Father, but is of this world. And he goes on to tell us at the end that the things of this world will what? Pass away. Psalm 16 says, There is a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. God's word is very clear. We have a choice to make as to how we're going to live. If I'm going to live to please self, there's going to have certain consequences. If I live to please God, that's going to have consequences. But what's he saying here is that the law reveals what life is not. He goes, I thought I had life. What he thought was life was no life at all. Revelation that what he was doing revealed that sin revived. In other words, he said the very fact that he says, now I realize that there's a command that says, don't do this or do this. And all of a sudden I find myself doing this something different. He said, I realized that the law came alive. Sin came alive. What I thought was really living was not life at all. In fact, he says what, thought, what he thought was life actually led to death. So we need to be careful that the law reveals what life is not. Number three. We see another principle in verse 11. It says, For sin, taking an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. That's some pretty serious words there, right? The law reveals how sin deceives. Sin will take and it wants an opportunity to do wrong. Just think about that just for a moment. Sin will take and it wants an opportunity. He says it deceives me. How many people... As they start down a path of doing what brings gratification to self in areas of sinfulness, think that it's okay. I mean, how many people in America think nothing of turning their computer on and watching pornography and think it's not that big a deal? How many people will drink themselves to sleep night after night and say, hey, it's not that big a deal? How many people will steal from their employer? Oh, it's just a little knife, or it's just a pair of gloves, or it's just a pair of safety goggles, or it's just a this, or it's just a that, and they think it's just no big deal. A lot of people. And unfortunately, it's a lot of Christians. It's just a little deal, just a little thing. And what does God's word say? Beware the 
the little grapes that spoil the vine. Because all sin breaks the heart of God. And no matter how big or little you think it is, sin is sin. And sin will take and it wants an opportunity. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever been somewhere and you saw a sign that says, do not touch? Right? Um, what does it make you want to do for some reason? Unless you're not normal, you want to touch it. Unless you're just not right in the head, you want to reach out there and touch it. I'm just saying. I can't tell you how many times I've been in a museum. And trust me, I'm a preacher. I was in Billy Sunday's home in Warsaw, Indiana, walking through his house. It's on display. And they have these stupid little, what do you call them? The ropes where they're roped off. And it says, do not step over. Do not touch anything. I want to reach out and grab that Bible that's sitting there and look at it. It's a Bible for crying out loud. It shouldn't be on display. I want to touch it. Okay, I know it's Billy Sunday's and he preached from it, but I want to touch it. How many, let's be honest, you saw the sign that says, wet paint, do not touch. You want to touch to see if it's dry yet. <laughs> Come on. Thank you. How many of you have ever been to a wax museum before and you saw them lifelike beings? Do not touch the wax figures. Nobody's looking. Oh, shoot, they got a camera in here. <laughs> I want to touch those things. Artwork. You ever been in a museum where they have art on the walls? I don't even like art. But when it says do not touch, I want to like, hmm. Cool. I don't know why. There's something innate within us that when somebody says do not do something, it makes you want to do it. For sin, taking an opportunity through the commandment deceives me and through it killed me. When you do what you are not supposed to do, even though our flesh wants to do it, there are consequences. And sometimes those consequences are greater than we assume. The law reveals one more thing in verse 12. The law reveals itself to be holy. Holy. When we think about something being holy, there's really three words in God's word in the Greek language that are almost identical. And they are often interchanged and used interchangeably. It's the word holy, the word sanctified, and the word set apart. What he is saying is that the law is in itself holy because it teaches us what sin is and what life is, and how we're to live it. It teaches us how we can please God in this life. It is also sanctified and set apart. God's law is set apart and distinctly different from any other law. Why? Because this is the instruction that he gave us to know how to live a life that would be pleasing to him. And then he goes on to tell us, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. 
I'm just going to tell you, in my flesh, I don't think rules are good. I don't like rules, naturally. Most of you don't either. Someone said a long time ago, you know what rules are for? To be broken. We don't like it when other people break our rules. Like, children, be home at 10. Or, don't drive with anyone else in the car. Or, don't eat that, that's for later. When somebody breaks a rule that we've established, doesn't it not irritate us? Let's be honest, doesn't it irritate us? When we have rules and those around us are not respecting them, does it not take you off? Why would we suppose that when we break God's commands, that it wouldn't break his heart as well? See, it's just a little thing. It's a big thing. Because him that knows to do right and doesn't do it, it's sin. And so it comes down to, I want to live a life of righteousness before God? And a life of holiness? Or do I want to live a life in the flesh that's all about pleasing me? And we know where that ends. I don't know about you, but even though these, these things look like they're repetitive, over and over he's teaching us what sin is. What life is not. How sin is deceitful in our lives. And how we're to be holy. Those are some things that we should take to heart. Amen? God wants us to live a life that would be pleasing to Him. And here's what I come back to. We're going to get into it next month, probably somewhere in the chapter 8. But Him that knows to do good, it's a choice. And he says in Romans 8, He that minds the things of the flesh sets his mind on the things of the flesh. He that minds the things of the Spirit sets his mind on the things of the Spirit. It is a daily choice. I can't make someone not do something. I can't make somebody do something. Every one of us has a will. And it comes down to who we are going to please. Hopefully we choose to please God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we come before you, we're reminded of the law once again. As we're going through this book, Lord, over and over, you remind us of the benefits of the law. And Lord, though we are not bound to the law per se in 2021, your word still reveals to us the things that please you, and the things that displease you. And that commandments are given for our good. The law, the guidelines by which you have us to live are good for us because you want nothing but what is good for us. You allow those things that would teach us and mold us and make us more like your son. And Lord, these things, they point out to us the very things that we need to be reminded of. <clears throat> and I ask God that you would speak to our hearts this morning. Help us to be honest with ourselves, Lord, for we know that we cannot lie to you. You know our hearts, you know our minds, you know our thoughts. And I pray, God, that you'd help us to realize that whether or not we are truly following you or just going through the motions, being deceived by the sinfulness around us. I pray, God, that you would speak to our hearts. His heads are bowed and eyes are closed just as for a moment that no one be looking around. 
is just an opportunity to respond as we have each and every week. We have an opportunity to say, hey, has the Holy Spirit convicted you? Has he challenged you in some way? How should you respond? Say, Pastor, this morning, I'm honest with myself, God spoke to my heart. There's some areas of sin that I've been taking lightly. There's some areas of how I know God wants me to live that I've just been setting aside. But God has challenged my heart this morning. God's convicted me. Would you pray for me? Anyone like that this morning? Yes. In the back, the sides. I don't know. Say, Pastor, pray for me. There's some things I'm struggling with. Some things that I need to put in order before God. Anyone else? Say, Pastor, pray for me. Yes. Can I challenge those of you who nodded your heads, those of you that lifted your, your hands, to take a moment and pray? Just take a moment and pray. Lord, forgive me. You know what it is. You and God know exactly what it is that you're failing in. The very thing that, the very sin that is deceiving you. The very rules that you are willfully choosing to break. The things that God says, don't do this because you know what's better. You know what's right. And you're choosing to do it and it's sin. You and God knows what, know what those things are. And this morning, just need to say, Lord, forgive me. And God's word is clear. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Would you just take a moment and pray? Lord Jesus, we thank you for how you've worked in our hearts this morning. I ask God that you continue to work. Be with each one who raised their hand, their heart to you, Lord. May they see victory this week, Lord, as they go forward in their walk with you. Lord, we do thank you for the law. The law comes alive because it reveals to us what pleases you. It's not a set of rules or regulations meant to bind us, but actually give us freedom because we know what pleases you and we can continue to do that. So Lord, I pray this week that you'd help us to do what's right out of a heart of love and gratitude for what you've done for us. And we'll praise you for it, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.